the top 100 is one of the most popular things we do every year because I think the industry likes to have a look at where everyone's going. A little bit competition, a little bit sort of curiosity, a little bit what's everyone else doing. The firms are often so focused on what they're doing, they don't have as much awareness of what the rivals are doing. They might know from scuttlebutt and from talking, but where you would hope the financial view fits in is to go, look, these are the major trends. These are the firms that are growing the most and this is why. And you'll get a mix of reasons. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 226 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Each year in early November, the Australian Financial Review publishes a list of the top 100 accounting firms in Australia. And for the past few years, Edmund Tedris, AFR's professional services editor, has analyzed and written about this list. So perfect to ask for more insights. So how long has AFR done the top 100 accounting firm list? It used to be with BRW. BRW closed in 2013. And then did it come across to AFR straight away? No, I think we did a cut down version of maybe the top 20 for a few years. Okay. Uh, and then we went back to top 100 maybe two years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, top 100 is, is a lot of logistics involved because... You, um, surprisingly, we do a law partnership survey. So every six months we survey the top 50 law firms, give or take. They don't give us revenue, but it's more a demographic survey. And that's very easy to do. The law firms all know what they're doing. You rarely get any issues with data. It's a very quick process. But accounting firms, it's quite difficult. You get all sorts of problems that you wouldn't have thought of because you ask for two years of data, often... Last year's data, and every year you ask for two years, and you make sure that the previous year data matches the forward year data for the previous one, and often they don't match. There's no real explanation why. The firms often have trouble with what parts of the network are constituents. So you, you can be counted once. So if you're part of a network, you're either counted as part of that network or you're on your own. And so what we found was there was a couple of firms who were double counting. So that was a bit of an issue. So there's all these um, strange issues that come up that you just have to work through. But it's strange that the law firms don't, have, don't well, seem to have this issue. You would think firms, that the accounting yeah. firms, numbers are their bread and butter. You yeah. would think that the but accounting that be, firms... That may be their bit of an issue as well because they understand numbers, right? So the law firms just give you the numbers. Um, They're kind of innocent and just... Well, we don't, ask for, we don't ask them for financial information. We do. So most of them don't give it. Um, so it's just it's demographic numbers. So they're pretty straightforward, right? You had 10 people, now you've got 11. With the firms, and we've had all sorts of... Um, With the accounting firms. Oh, sorry, the accounting firms. We've had all sorts of issues come up that you wouldn't have thought of. Um, the main one was the, the main one where, and I didn't know, you know, like so, sometimes you know it because you've covered it a lot. Others, I haven't covered them, so I'm not across it. You know, you would have firm X is also part of network Y. And so once you sort of look at it, you're like, well, I don't mind, right? If you want to be out on your own, that's fine. Or if you want to be part of it, but you can't be both. And so there were a couple of 
networks where the, they had to sort of work it out with the firms themselves. Yeah, but I can imagine the challenge is realizing that firm X is yeah, part yeah, of yeah. network but Y. But you, you sort of, um, the list gets better each year, right? Because if you, you tend to only make um, the error once because everyone points it out to you, right? So it's like a group. <laughs> a group assignment in some really, respects. it's like oh the others, yeah, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. other kids yeah. come to the teacher and say, yeah. oh, this one cheated. Uh, a, a little bit, yes. Um, but also, I miss journalism, right? Like once something is public, and you try and avoid this, but if someone has told you something that isn't accurate and you didn't know, you'll know pretty quickly once it's published. And then after a while, you sort of get a, you know, you become a bit more experienced and you know a bit more and you can, you know, you try to, You want to just write the story once. You don't want to write the story about how the person said the wrong thing. You, you want to do the job properly once. So sometimes it's a case of letting the people you're interviewing know and going, this is, this is going to be public, right? Um, just make sure what you're telling me is accurate. That's fine. Yeah. It's a very rare problem. But if someone says you something that's patently wrong and we print it, we'll know about it pretty quickly. How do the firms come onto your list? Do they apply or do you approach them? We try and get all the major ones. So you want the top 20 to be pretty accurate and to reflect all the big firms. We get some firms that jump in and out. I don't really like that. Like you're either in or you're out. We get firms who suddenly one year want to hide. They've had a downturn in revenue and all that. And you're like, well, look, you know, that's not very helpful to readers. So you always work back. What's useful to the readers? The readers want to know who the top 100 firms are. If you're a firm, and I'm not saying we've had these problems, but you just want the firm to just sort of, you want all the big, you know, you want it to be the top 100. But there's a couple of firms you don't want to enter. We can't force them to enter, and that's their prerogative. But I would sort of take exception if a firm was jumping in and out. I think that's a problem. But if they've never wanted to enter, I mean, that's their prerogative, really. I think that it'd be good to be featured in the financial review in the top 100 to let everyone know. You know, this, like, who, who operates under the radar? Like, like you're a public, you know, you're, you're an accounting firm. You're not doing anything, you know, you're, you're providing accounting services. Why would you want to operate under the radar? I have heard from some firms that could be on the list yeah. that said the risk is the ATO. If you are listed as a fast-growing firm, yeah. you have a high risk of the ATO knocking on your... But if you haven't done anything wrong, what's the problem? Yes, but an ATO audit costs time and money, and yeah. hence best to be avoided. At least that's... It's a strange attitude for accountants to take, yeah, isn't it? maybe. I guess a that's their position. I, I would mm. just think, well, if you're a fast-growing firm, you're a successful firm, why wouldn't you want everyone to know and get customers going to you? You must be doing something right. That's an, odd, that's an odd sort of reason not to turn up on a list, yeah. Yeah, but I can imagine that that is one of the reasons why those few firms choose oh, yeah. not to be on the list. Yeah, I guess that's their prerogative, yeah. You worked on the uh, 2019 list. Hmm. Did you also work on the 2018 list? I've worked on all, all of them because um, I've been doing this role for about three or four years, so okay. I've worked on all the recent ones. And is it easy when the data comes from the research team, is it easy to immediately kind of see the story or is it some years it's quite easy to see the story and then other years it kind of looks quite bland and it's difficult to see trends well it's kind of there's a couple of steps right like you look at the data and it may tell you one thing but then you spend most of your time checking it with experts and other people and asking a lot of people so so the stories kind of come out through the yeah watch there. well you might have a thesis but it's just a bunch of numbers right so it can mean anything and nothing so they sort of go you sort of look at it and usually split it up right the big four are doing something that's usually quite obvious 
um, the mid tier, so you know, the hundred million upwards, they'll be doing a different sort of thing. And then you sort of have two long tails, the really small growing firms, and then the sort of firms in between. And each segment will be doing something a bit different. And then you sort of have an idea, but then you go and talk to as many people as you can to find out. And what you're looking for is for the, um, you know, the the little nugget of insight that I wouldn't have known unless I'd talked to people. And that's just, you know, it's like writing any journalism story. You have an idea, but you go and check with everyone and see what they all think. Check with people from the firms, check with people from other firms, check with experts, check with clients, whatever it sort of takes. And most of this talking to people is usually over the phone. You probably spend a lot of time on the phone yeah, or do yeah. you also or, or do a meet, lot of face-to-face -face yeah, meetings? Yeah, it depends. If I've never met you, it's probably best we meet a few times. But if I know you, I'll just ring you up. So it's a mix of two. It just depends. You have the big four who have a turnover of over 375 million. Then you have the mid-tier, 100 million to 375 million. Then you have the small tier, 20 to 100 million. And then you have the tiny tier that are below 20 million. So the small tier and the tiny tier, I kind of just gave them these names. Yeah. When you refer to them in a conversation or so, what do you call the really small ones? The small ones. I, I, yeah, I can't say I've ever given them a, a sort of collective name. The sort of segments, because we're, we're a corporate paper, so our sort of target market is the largest companies and the business decision makers at those. And um, so our sort of um, our target market is top-tier clients. So that means it's the big four and the mid-tiers and maybe the largest, smaller firms are our, they're our core. We've got a different target market to the BRW so that that's I think backwards from that which is our who what do I, I see so BRW was more small business BRW had a broader remit we're quite focused on the top end of town and business decision makers and the people who provide services to those business decision makers and that's also why you don't really have a name for the accounting firms below 20 million because they are not your target market well I just talk to them but I mean the big four is an obvious sort of That's a grouping. And yes. then and then the mid-tiers, you know, the sort of... 100 million plus. Yeah, 100 million plus. So there's nine of them in this in this year's one. They're a key focus. But before below that, it's, you know, it's... You probably look at the small tier, so 20 million plus. You look at the small tier because they might threaten the mid-tier eventually. Yeah, but it's sort of... um the way The way the page works is you're going backwards. So it does a client... Is a client that worried about the movement within the industry or they're worried about what it means for them as a client? That's the core audience. And you're also writing for accountants, but it a little bit, does Grant Thornton worry that much about its competitor or it's got its own strategy it's going? Like it's a big market. It's it's a slowly growing market. So I just don't think that way. It's more sort of what what's the best story for the reader? Oh, we've got an interesting small firm that's growing because it's all it's all in the cloud. It just does zero, maybe. That's interesting because everyone wants to know how does a firm like that operate? How does it market? It's a virtual firm, maybe. That's interesting. Or you've got a firm that has made this really big step from accounting. They've really aggressively gone into advisory and they've managed to make it work. It's quite hard to make that work. That's interesting. So it's not so much the size of the firm. It's more, are they doing something that, another person in the industry or a client might be interested in that that's the sort of thinking not so much the um 
how big they are or not big they are. It's like, do you, do you, are you doing something that other people will want to know about and the readers will want to know about? That's how I sort of think about it. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. It's not so so interesting whether Grant Thornton is number, I don't know what number it yeah, is on your yeah, list, yeah. but whether it's number 9 or yeah. number 10 or number 15, it, it's you're more, right. It's more the firm, you know. What are the winners? The, what are the ones who are growing, doing right? Yeah, what are, what are they doing right? Like, and why are they growing? What's their, what's their sort of secret? to their success that that's what people want to know about learn from the winners um, but i'm not going to sit there and go look accountant accounting firm rank, rank number 78 on it like i mean you might mention that as a sort of tertiary thing but really it's more jane smith or fred blog from this firm this is their strategy and this is what and this is what's working or what's not working it doesn't have to necessarily they don't even need to be fast growing they will just have they might have a lesson that someone else wants to know about we tried this. It was really tough, you know, like advisory, right? I mean, one I thought quite interesting story was there's a there's a guy, Sam McNeil, who does personality tests for accountants to work out what sort of role they would be in an advisory team, very different set of skills. And I think that's interesting, right, because that's a structured way to really shift the type of service you're providing. An accountant thinks in a certain way and a consultant thinks quite differently but still needs accounting skills. So that's the sort of thinking of it. You're sort of um, trying to listen to something that would be interesting to a reader basically and you work backwards from that, you know. Otherwise you end up sort of getting into, if it's not something you'd talk to a client about or talk to a colleague about, then it's hard to write a story about it. And a lot of stories you hear are stories that belong it's only interesting to the firm. It's an internal newsletter story. You want something that has a bit of a broader appeal, basically. And so looking at the 2019 top 100 list, what are the main points that are jumping up? Oh, it's kind of... What were the main trends you saw? Yeah, so um, if I just sort of segment it, because it's a bit easier to think about, the big four continue to grow at a pretty much stellar rate because of their expansion into all of these extra services. Advisory, especially. Advisory, yeah. Um, a little bit law for some of the firms. Technology. Yeah. Technology, all those sort of um, you know extra services. With the mid-tier, it's very mixed results. So and I, if I remember correctly, and I'm looking at the document now, BDO, so they, 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 I'm pretty sure that's the second year they were a standout grower. They're both expanding their advisory and their audit, so they've been the standout performer at that tier. Findex has quite a different business model because it's a lot of financial advice. So they've sort of been steady for a couple of years now, up, up and down slightly. And below that, you just will have, um, there'll be a couple of standout sort of companies that come up, but it's quite um, quite mixed results. But most people are growing. There's very few that aren't growing. Um, and a little bit of that is sometimes firms, when they're not growing, they opt to not enter the top 100. But no, this, this is a list where we sort of, we're looking for, Mm. We're looking for growth in those sort of stories. And your mid-tier firms, so from 100 million to 375 million, mm. they have been kind of consistently on your list. So Findex, BDO, Grant Thornton, Pitcher Partners, RSM, William Buck, PKF. Oh well, I mean, we, we don't give them names, right? We just say 100 million upwards because that's a sort of grouping yeah. that's um, simple to think about. But those players in the mid-tiers, yeah. they have been consistent. Consistently, uh, yeah, the there's a couple that move out on the edges of it, but um, yeah, for that grouping, I think it was 10 last year, so I'm not sure which firm dropped out, but 
they tend to sort of be okay. So it was ten last year. It was it is it is nine in yes. twenty nineteen. Yeah. So somebody dropped off, but that's not yeah. so yeah. Uh, relevant. The main thing is that the big players in the mid mid tier segment are consistently yeah, there quite, and growing. Quite, yeah, there's not much movement in the top, say fifteen or twenty. Really, they might swap around in places, but. Yeah. It tends to be the same things. And it seems to be a consistent story across all of them, the mid-tiers as well as the big four, that they're all moving into advisory and hence growing. Yeah, so essentially the big four are well ahead of everyone and then you have everyone, with one or two exceptions, sort of a, a little bit emulating the strategy of the big four, which is to expand into sort of ancillary and other services. The interesting thing I thought was that the small tier, so the 20 to 100 million, they are, when you look at growth, they grew the strongest from all of them, you know, on a percentage basis. And of course, it's much easier to grow from a, from a lower base than from a yeah, higher so base. Yeah, there's a couple of standout performers. Yeah, I agree. And some of those are through acquisitions like Mazars and others are organic. So I'm quite impressive performance there. Yeah. The main reason that we had strong growth in the small tier, so 20 to 100 million, you think the main reason is acquisitions? No, not at all. No. Um, it just depended on the individual firm. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so there's no clear trend. Some no, of them no, moved no. into so, advisory. So the way, um, yeah, the, the, there's a range of things. And what the way I usually approach it is um, we'll do we'll pick individual firms out that have interesting figures or you know seem to be doing, and we'll just ask them individually because... You know, you ask 10 different firms why they're growing, you'll probably get 10 different answers, oh, okay. right? Yeah. So in that small tier segment, there's not one clear answer. No, so for no, example, the, it's not technology or... Well, technology is usually part of it, but it's not a... It might be... Um, I mean, the sort of cluster of different reasons you might get is... Um, technology they're, they're, they're using technology better, so they're operating in the cloud to get closer to the customer, and that's cutting the cost down, so they're able to service more people or make more margin or offer consulting services. It might be they've specialised in a particular industry, so they've picked doctors, say, and they are the go-to person for doctors or medical you know, medical providers, whatever. So they, they picked a niche. They niche. picked a niche, yeah. Or, Is it niche or niche, by the way? I, I think the Americans niche, say niche. Probably niche. I niche, yeah, I say niche as um, well. I could be wrong though. Or, um, well, yeah, so, or they've moved, um, or, and or they've moved into advisory or other sort of ancillary services. So it could be any of those things. Yeah, or they've made an acquisition. Yeah. And or, and or. Yeah. yeah. One thing I heard, and because you focus on the bigger end of town, you might only notice it on the acquiring aside, one thing I heard is that there's a lot of consolidation in the accounting industry, medium to big firms buying the little ones. And of course, your focus not, is not on the little ones, so you wouldn't see it on the on the selling side, but you might see it on the buying side. Can you also see a consolidation in the industry? It seems pretty, I mean, that's always happening. Like firms are always buying other firms and getting bigger and so it's not something you... I don't think so. That seems to be quite a constant. Like um, at a certain size, uh, you know, there will be some firms who are quite acquisitive. Other firms, they want to be acquired. Other firms want to be independent. So you sort of see a mix of everything. You might have up or downs, but there's always people buying other people for growth and, you know, and maybe it works and, you know, the culture has to have a cultural fit and all that. So looking forward, when will you start working on the 2020 list yeah, so when do you get the data yeah. or, or even starting starting earlier when does the research team start collecting the data is that already happening now no you can't really ask people for the data until 
their financial year is closed off because um, there's no point. I see. So you so start asking we, in we July. Tend, yeah, if I remember correctly, and I'm getting, I'm going to get my dates wrong here, but um, we advertise and sort of send a note out to everyone who's ever entered probably, I think, August. So we give them a month. Then we, um, so this was November. So I'm going to, I'm going to just approximate dates. I reckon we probably close it off about maybe a month to six weeks before we intend to publish. There's probably a week or two of sorting out data, etc., and then we spend about three to four weeks writing stuff. But that's quite quite a tight pipeline. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's journalism, right? Like, you know, yeah. if I yeah. need to, I can write a story yeah. in a couple of hours and get it up. This one, the main sort of back and forth is, um, you know, Firm X last year said, um, and this happens all the time, last year said our revenue was 100 to 110 and this year says actually it was 100 to 120. And you go, but last year you told us that it was 110. So you're just having to sort out what happens. Sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes, um, you know, they've sold a firm or a firm has split off or they've added a firm. And you just want something that makes sense to the readers. But it's you who follows this up. It's not the research team. I oh, know the research team already it. starts it. Well, they've matched it all right. So um, they might ask me, sometimes we have to make an editorial judgment. There was one firm where they'd listed as part of a network and then they'd also one of the firms had also individually entered and I just said to them, you have to choose. It's either you count that revenue on its own or in the network, you can have both. And then they made a decision and that, that was fine. That, that was their call. I, I don't mind. But, I mean, I would think, you know, you want to be part of a network to have the bigger name. So you probably have to accept that your smaller name, <laughs> you know, isn't on the list. But I, I can't remember what they decided can you already see trends you think will continue in 2020? Do you already have a feel of what the story will be for 2020? No, I thought I did. But look, one of the things that's interesting to me is you've got an economic slowdown. What does that mean for service providers? With accounting, your work your work should be relatively steady. You still need to do your taxes and your accounts. So that shouldn't be impacted. But the area where everyone is growing into is consulting that's very much impacted by economic cycles. And I've been asking that question consistently for a month or two now. And the response I always get is, what's your pipeline look like? I'm always getting a response of it depends. It's patchy. So one firm, some areas going gangbusters, other areas, they can't sell work. And I think that's happening. If I think about the bigger firms, that's happening a bit. So it's not that it's good or bad, it's just patchy. And, and that's the answer I keep getting. And the problem with consulting is that I guess the, the arguments for, for it continuing is people are going to need to transform. You need to transform even more in a downturn. That's, you, know, you could argue that's probably the best time to do it, to get ahead of it. So you should have lots of work, but it's hyper-competitive. Everyone's pitching for the same work. Yeah, so that makes it difficult if you lose a few in a row, basically. So it's patchy, yeah. That's the best prediction I can give you, yeah. Because you have a consulting background, yeah. do you find you get you easier get the stories that affect consulting and you it's harder to kind of get tax or law? Or do you find that with your contacts, constantly talking to people, it doesn't really matter so much where you have yeah, come from originally? I, I'm, I'm covering it like an industry. So if the consultants or the accountants have an expert view... I might not write that. So if the tax people have an expert tax view, our tax writer will write that most probably. 
if they have an expert superannuation view, that goes to the superannuation. So you mean the, the technical questions? Yeah, yeah. So the actual, their expertise. I might write a bit of it, but um, we have expert writers in those areas. We have markets writers who want to know, want to talk to the experts, that sort of thing. What I'm doing is I'm covering... The actual markets. The actual business of service providers. So how they sell their businesses, you know, who's where in the market, who's known for what, who's growing and not, that sort of thing. So it, it doesn't really make a difference. Like you're a company that's a professional services company. I'm interested in how you operate. Yeah. Before we started the interview, you mentioned that it was a different team who wrote the insert about the top 100 accounting firms. Yeah, yeah. How does it come that you wrote the big two-page spread, but yeah. you weren't involved in the insert? Oh, no, I'm involved in it just not in a direct way. So I'm the I'm editorial here, and so I, I'm the journalist and I... Um, so I write it for the paper. There's also, um, this is sponsored by one of the professional bodies and they um, specific... I think the Chartered Accountants yeah, of that, Australia and yeah. New Zealand. Yep. And they have specific stories they want, topics they want. So that's done by another team. And the coordination is, I like, I don't interfere in that. They don't interfere in my stuff because that's sponsored content. So it's very different to editorial. Editorial is independent. But what we might do is um, we try and interview as many different people as we can. So if they're interviewing someone... Or I'm interviewing someone. I, I I just let them know. But what they write is there. It, it's you know it's between them and the client. And what I write is between me and the editors here. The sponsorship from CAA and Z mm. is the main takeaway for them that they get mentioned in the insert that they have their organization mentioned and displayed. Yeah, I, I, I mean they get the branding and they get associated with the Fin Review and I guess all the reasons why you would sponsor something. Yeah. But I'm not involved in any of that. I um, I get the data and I do my editorial thing. You know, I think I mentioned that there, you know, this is done in partnership with them. But there's no sort of um, there's no editorial sort of carve-outs or caveats for yes. me. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one last thing about the tables you show on the side of the top 100 accounting firm That's list. That's in the lift out. Uh, no, in the actual two-page spread, yeah. yeah, and those tables. And there's one table that shows top trends, fastest-growing divisions, etc. But then there's also a table about female partners. Is that there every year or is it just because it, it jumped out this year? And also, do you find that there starts to be a bit of fatigue about gender diversity? Oh, no, I, I chose it because I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, accounting as an industry is sort of a bit behind where legal l law is. They tend to have, they've got a bigger pipeline of women and more women. Yeah, so I, I thought it was interesting. It's an important issue. I mean, how can you have fatigue about wanting more women in senior levels at accounting? So I think it's an important issue that we could, should continue to cover. And, 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 you know, it's a bit sort of, it is a bit disappointing that you know, there's still a third of top 100 firms that don't have any women partners. I mean, that's that's pretty disappointing, I would think. Yeah. The top 100 is one of the most popular things we do every year because I think the industry likes to have a look at where everyone's going. So there's that sort of value. It's a bit like it. competition. A little bit competition, a little bit sort of curiosity, a little bit what's everyone else doing. One of the odd things about doing this job is um, the firms are often so focused on what they're doing, they don't have as much awareness of what the rivals are doing. They might know from scuttlebutt and from talking, but where you would hope the financial review fits in is to go, look, these are the major trends. 
these are the firms that are growing the most and this is why. And you'll get a mix of reasons. And you're kind of hoping that people read it and go, oh, I didn't know that, or they get an idea, or maybe we could do that, or actually that's not for us. So you're trying to sort of give them a, a nice overview as much as you can, knowing that all the the reason why everyone, you know, success comes in it in lots of different forms and you don't want to focus too much on why firms aren't growing. You sort of want to look at what, what they're doing that's right. Or if they're not growing, maybe there's something going on there that we need to worry about as a firm. And as a client, you're interested in, well, who's doing innovative things? Who, who's sort of got, you know, accounting and service provision? Professional services are always evolving. So you want to know, well, who's on the cutting edge, right? Like that firm's gone completely cyber. Is that, is that the sort of service provider we want? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. So you're trying to give people a sort of a map of the land as much as you can. Welcome back. So going through the list of the top 100 accounting firms and reading about them is a good opportunity to take a step back and look at what others are doing. Maybe it shines some light on your path ahead. In parting, let's just quickly run through the top tier, mid tier and small tier firms just to rejig your memory about who is who, who the big players are. There are four top tier firms, the big four, who have a turnover of over 375 million per year. And these are... Number one, PwC. Number two, Deloitte. Number three, EY. Number four, KPMG. And then there are nine mid-tier firms with a turnover of 100 to 375 million. Number five, Findex. Number six, BDO. Number seven, Grant Thornton. Number eight, Pitcher Partners. Number nine, RSM. Number 10, William Buck. Number 11, PKF. Number 12, Bentley's Network. Number 13, HLB Manjud. And then... 24 small-tier firms with a turnover of 20 to 100 million. Number 14, Count Plus. Number 15, Nexia Australia. Number 16, McGrath Nicole. Number 17, Walker Wayland Australia. Number 18, Moore Stevens. Number 19, Hall Chadwick. Number 20, Shine Wing. Number 21, Synergy Group. Number 22, DFK Australia, New Zealand. Number 23, Mazars. Number 24, Kelly Partners. Number 25, UHY Haynes Norton. Number 26, MGI Australasia. Number 27, Vincent's. Number 28, Brentnells. Number 29, Fordham Group. Number 30, Cor Cordis. Number 31, Perks Accountants and Wealth Advisors. Number 32, Bell Partners. Number 33, Prosperity Advisors Group. Number 34, Boyce Chartered Accountants. Number 35, Rubik 3. Number 36, Hood Sweeney. Number 37, Kutcher and Neil. So these are the big players, the ones to watch, the ones setting trends. After the interview, I asked Edmund some personal questions, which I wanted to share with you. I'm very sorry. Can I just very quickly ask you something? I just realized that I forgot to ask you something. Yeah. And that is, how did you make the jump from consulting to becoming a journalist? Oh, um, yeah, it took a couple of years. I liked consulting because I like the structure of it and it's structured problem solving and um, very detailed, not quite suitable, like just wasn't me. And then I tried a few things and 
decided on journalism. I had a friend who was a journalist, so I'm sort of jumbling this all up. But I had a friend who was a journalist and I I liked writing and I liked people. So journalism is really about meeting people and expression and talking to people. And I said to her, do you think I'd be a good journalist? Because I used to always think of journalists as um, I had a vision in my head of journalists as quite aggressive Something you might see on TV, chase people down the road. Yeah, shoving um, the mic. Shoving the mic. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was journalism. And my friend, um, and I didn't quite understand what she said at the time, but she said, no, no, I think you'd be suitable. I didn't quite understand why she thought that because I thought, oh, I don't think so. But um, actually, yeah, it's sort of when I, I did the course and I, I quite liked it and then I did some internships. And when I met journalists, like print journalists, um, very different creatures to TV journalists, I sort of met my people, if that makes sense. And then when I came to the Finn, which is about five or maybe seven years ago, I can't remember now, I met my sort of branch of my people. So I always think to be, you know, there's all sorts of different journalists, but um, the way I sort of think of it is it's pretty, you have to be interested in people and everything flows from that. Yeah. And so, um, and I like professional services people because they're interesting people who, um, you know, what, what they produce is it from their brain, whatever sort of type of, and they're, so I, I, I like that. I think that's very interesting. I think it's very modern and very, um, you know, that's where everyone's shifting towards. You know. Can I ask you two questions about that? The first one is when you look at the time you spend every day on average, hmm. do you spend more time writing or do you spend more time talking to people? Oh, it depends on the cycle. So my, when I have my section, it comes out on a Wednesday. So my cycle is sort of around that Monday and Tuesday, usually doing a lot of writing. But to set that up, you've done a lot of talking. But then you might need to, um, you know, if I have to write a story for tomorrow, the process doesn't change. So it's basically you get told something or you find out something or someone tells you something, you go and bet it or check it. You might go and in, in between talk to the editors. Do you think this is a story or not? So the sort of the beginning bit is usually quite a bit of talking and then there's writing, but then it's iterative too. So you might get you might start writing and realise, oh, I'm not sure about that or I have to check that. So you do a lot of checking as you're going along. So there's no answer to that. It just depends. I have days where all I do is talk to people and then I have days where I don't talk to anyone. I'm just writing from notes and um, things I've already done. So it depends. Mm -hmm. But it's all in the cycle of... Um, of getting the story out so the, the process doesn't change it just might expand or contract depending on the complexity of the topic in my last question and i'm not sure whether that's a good question you might have heard of this distinction between introverts and extroverts in terms of that as an extrovert you get your energy from being mm. with other people and as an introvert you get your energy from being alone and i can imagine tv or video journalists definitely get would get their energy uh, from being with people. But print journalists, would you think most of them get their energy no, from... No, I think it's like any group of people. You'll get a bell curve of people on either ends and those who are comfortable with either. So I know I know lots of introverted, you know, TV people who when they're on, when they're performing, when they're on, they're on, but otherwise they're quite quiet people and vice versa. So, yeah, so I think it depends. And there are some people who... I like writing, so that's why I like print journalism. But being on TV is its own skill, right, because you need to be able to explain something very, very complex in five sentences. That's really hard. You need to be able to interview someone and get something out of them. That's really hard while you're live on camera. So it's horses for courses. So there's no sort of um, introversion, extroversion. Like am I an introvert or an extrovert? Well, 
you know, sometimes I'm, I can be either. I like any human being. So I, I don't think it's related to that so much as um, some people just sort of, their skill set is a bit different to others. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 227, Bob Deutsch, the senior tax counsel at the Tax Institute, will talk about Comex trades and how it took the German government 10 years to stop a practice that costs them something around 30 billion Australian dollars. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.